Good morning, First Baptist Church of Gray Gables. I uh, hope you all have been having a wonderful Christmas season and if you've been encouraged by God's Word. Uh, I did want to let you know that our offices this upcoming week will be closed on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, we are having our Christmas Eve service uh, as we usually do on Thursday. And so that'll be at six o'clock. We want to encourage you to be here uh, if you can. Uh, if not, uh, you can worship in spirit with us on Christmas Eve uh, as well. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. It's getting close, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's getting close to the end of the year. We were just about making it through 2020. Amen. And so this is the time where we're wondering if the gift we purchased for our spouse is going to be something that's cherished or is it going to be something uh, that's returned or even worse, maybe buried. It's a time where we've got just a billion different things racing through our mind. Did I leave anybody out? Do I really need to buy a gift for that obscure relative or this obscure uh, relative? Do I have enough time to make everybody's favorite dish? Plus, plus it's, it's 2020, so how bad should I expect everything to go, right? Uh, well, I want to give you a word this morning that I think uh, will help you through this hectic Christmas week uh, and will also help you survive to the end of 2020 and even thrive in the year of 2021. So I want you to turn with me to First uh, John this morning. Uh, but before we dive into our text, which our text is going to be First John 3, 1 through 10, I want to again provide a little bit of background for you. We are just parachuting right into the middle of this book for one week only. And so we want to ask, what is it that has come before this book? What is the context of the book we're reading? Well, uh, John, First uh, John was written by the Apostle John. Uh, and if you guess that, you're right. Uh, he's writing to a community of believers in the city of Ephesus, um, the same community uh, that we looked at last week in First Timothy, though a little bit different time periods. Uh, Ephesus was a very wealthy uh, city, and this community of believers was walking through something very difficult. Uh, some of them uh, were being tempted and lured away by the things of this world or the culture that was surrounding them. Uh, some of them have left the congregation, have walked away from the faith. Some of the people that they are close to have done this as well, choosing to pursue the things of this world instead of pursuing Christ. Uh, not only that, but this flock was being afflicted by false teachers who actually were a part of their congregation at some point. So false teachers had risen up from among them and began teaching false things. These people had gone out and started teaching things about Jesus, like he didn't actually appear in the flesh, that he wasn't actually the son of God, that he didn't actually atone for sins. And these difficulties that these Christians in Ephesus were facing left them in a very shaky position. Uh, some were questioning whether or not they really could know God. Others began to question who they should believe, the false teachers or the true teachers of the Scriptures. Others began to doubt whether they could know that they could actually have eternal life. And so the Apostle John, like a good pastor, he responds to these difficulties with a very detail-oriented letter of 1 John. And, and John is interesting here. First John is very particular in the way where John makes it clear in places uh, the sense in why he's writing this book. He gives us actually three very particular, particular and clear 
reasons why he's writing this book. And the first he gives is actually in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. So turn over uh, to 1 John 1, verse 4, and read that with me. He says, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. So John intends this letter to give these believers joy. That's one purpose he gives for why he's written this letter. The second intention for this letter, second purpose of this letter, is found in 1 John 2, verse 1. Look at 1 John 2, verse 1 with me, where he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. So not only does John intend this letter to give these believers joy, but John also intends for holiness to be in the lives of all the believers who read or hear this letter. And then one final one, flip over to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. This is the last reason he gives us for why he's written this letter. He says, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So why is John writing this letter? John's writing this letter to produce joy, holiness, and assurance to this congregation. John's writing this letter to produce joy, holiness, and assurance to this congregation. And to produce these qualities, God is going to give these people a repeated command throughout this letter. He is repeatedly going to tell this congregation that they need to abide in Christ. That is, remain in Him, continue in Him, stay on course. Uh, in fact, the, the passage right before the passage we're about to dissect, 1 Timothy or 1 John 3, 1 through 10, in 1 John 2, 28, the passage that comes right before it, this is how John encourages these believers with these words. Look at that in 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 28. He says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And that's really the word I want to give to you this Christmas season. As he says in 1 John 2, 28, abide in him, uh, abiding in him. If you are here listening to this and you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to consider making this your theme for not only the Christmas season, but the rest of the year 2020 and even into 2021, that this season you will abide in Christ. And so how do we do this? Well, thankfully, the Apostle John does not leave us without instruction on how to abide in Christ. In fact, now, if you have your Bibles open, let's read the passage we have before us, the passage we're going to dissect in 1 John 3, verses 1 through 10. Let's read this together. The Apostle John says, in the Spirit of God, inspiring the Apostle John, says to us, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Verse four, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. 
He who sins is of the devil for the purpose, uh, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Verse 10, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word now. Father, we do thank you uh, for this, your word. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we know that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so help us, Father, be made more into your image through your word. Lord, during this Christmas season, during this holiday season, where so many things are going on, there are so many possibilities to distract us uh, from the true reason for why we're celebrating and where our joy comes from. Lord, help us to refocus, remove the distractions, and celebrate what Christ came to accomplish. That not only did he come into this world, but Father, he came into this world to save sinners, and he came into this world to destroy the works of the devil. So Father, help us to celebrate you, abide in you, and rest in you uh, through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so how are we going to do this? Uh, if, if our charge, if our word for this Christmas season is we want to abide in Christ, if, if that's our charge for this season, the new year, and into 2021, how in the world are we going to do this? Well, first, if we're going to abide in Christ during this season of our lives, we must start by marveling at the amazing love of our Father. We must marvel at the love of the Father. Uh, that's exactly what we must do. How does John start out our text in verse 1? He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. And if you're just casually reading through this letter, I think you miss the force of, of this command the way that John really wants you to understand it. Uh, John is not simply saying, Oh, look, uh, there's the love of the Father. That's nice, isn't it? That's great. Okay, let's move on as if he's some tour guide at a crummy museum. No, he's saying, behold, what manner of love the Father has. And in fact, that phrase, what manner of, uh, it's one word in the Greek, and it's used most prominently uh, in another New Testament passage when the disciples are speaking of Jesus after he calms the winds and the wave. They say, what sort of man is this? That is how John really wants you to see this text here. That's what he wants you uh, to think about. This, this, this proclamation is meant to induce jaw-dropping wonder and amazement. Little children, behold the wonder and amazement of God's love. Look at it, behold it, marvel at it. And so we want to look at this love in two separate aspects as it's given to us in this text. And the first aspect we want to look at when we marvel at the love of the Father is God's adopting love. God's adopting love. Look at verse 1 again and read with me. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. See, God's adopting love is seen in Him making us His children. 
And friends, ours is a most unlikely adoption story. In fact, I want to bring your attention to our scripture reading today, which is actually in Ezekiel chapter 16. If you haven't read it yet, you can go ahead and pause right now and then go and read Ezekiel chapter 16. Okay, are you back? Hope you are. Uh, If you've read Ezekiel chapter 16, I want you to notice, did you notice how Ezekiel describes Israel uh, before they knew the Lord? He describes them as a nativity, as an infant covered in blood, helpless and hopeless, cast out in a desert. And as the Lord passes by this infant, what does he say to him? He says, live and the baby springs forth to life. Friends, we are that baby. That is us before uh, God gives us life. Uh, But we're actually in a far worse state than some infant that's been abandoned in a desert because we have lived our lives in open rebellion against God. The Bible is clear. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were hostile to God. We were his enemies. Yet, He adopts us, he says to us, live, and we spring to life by his word. This is a beautiful adoption, especially when you consider the costliness of this adoption. Friends, God's adoption of us was not a free transaction. In other words, he didn't just simply say it and then make it happen. His adoption of us was costly He was going to send and give the life of his true son, Jesus Christ, in our place so that we could become his children. Uh, Friends, look at what it cost him. His beloved son. Uh, It's a wonderful thing to adopt a child, isn't it? It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But church family, it's an entirely different thing to give up one of your own children for the child that you are trying to adopt. And that is what God has done for us in Christ so that we can enjoy eternal life with him and become one of his children. This is the reason why John is instructing the congregation the way he is. This is a love worth marveling over. We are God's children now. We who have put our hope in Christ, we are his. We've been adopted into his family. That leads us now to the second aspect of his love that we really need to marvel at. Not only do we need to marvel at God's adopting love, but I want us to marvel at his transforming love. Look at verse 2 with me in 1 John 3. Verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so though they're facing opposition from the world, God wants to encourage them to set their sights on their future. Uh, Brothers and sisters, set your sights on your future when God will transform you perfectly into the image of his son. Now, what is that exactly going to be like? I have no idea. In fact, I don't even think that John really knew. He says, what we will be has not been revealed. So even though we don't exactly know what we will be like or what that will look like, there are two particular things that we can know according to verse 2. And I want to turn your attention to that phrase, when he appears in verse 2, because that tells us the first thing that we can know for certain according to this verse, 1 John 3, 2. And that is, friends, the Lord Jesus is coming back. Jesus 
is returning. Jesus is coming back. At some point in history, history will come to an end. It may be a day in the near distant future when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven with his holy angels to return for his people, um, but it's coming. And he's not just going to return for them, by the way. Uh, the second thing we can know for certain from 1 John 3, 2 is John says that we shall be like him. We shall be like him. Jesus is coming to finally and fully transform his people into his likeness. When he appears, brothers and sisters, we shall be made like him. Not that we will become gods. That's not at all what John is saying here, but that we will be transformed. Our lowly bodies will become heavenly, imperishable bodies. Our souls will finally and fully be cleansed from spiritual corruption and sin. Friends, let your mind dwell on this reality. Let your mind swim in it, bathe in it. Let the water of this reality wash over you. This is your future hope. This is your destination to be finally and fully transformed into the likeness of Christ. That means, by the way, no more sin, no more relationships, no more abuse, no more anger, no more jealousy, no more hatred, no more sorrow, no more broken bodies, no more murder, no more pain, no more robberies, no more no sickness, no more death, no more sin. If the wages of sin is death and death will be no more, then sin will be no more. This is our great hope. This is where we are heading. Let your mind swim in this reality constantly and consider it. Why? Why will it happen? Well, look back at the text in verse 2. Why will we be made like him? For we shall see him as he is. We will be made like him for we shall see him as he is. There are a lot of things uh, in, in the rest of my life that I can't wait to see. For instance, I can't wait to see uh, the next episode of The Mandalorian. I, I really can't. It is so great. Best thing Disney's produced uh, in regards to Star Wars. It is great, and I can't wait to see it. I also can't wait to see what kind of uh, men and women my children grow up to be. I really can't wait to see that. But friends, you know what I really, really can't wait to see? Is this. The Lamb of God for sinners slain, who is making all things new. My eyes will behold the Son of God in the fullness of His beauty. We shall see Him like He is, as He is. We will no longer look at Him through the Word because the Word has been made flesh and He will be before us. Friends, that is so good to think about. This is where we're heading. And so John now therefore continues in verse 3 where he says, And everyone who has this hope. Look at what he says here. If you have Christ, if you are in Christ, if you've professed and are resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you have this hope. I don't know if you've seen this movie, but in Matt Damon's movie, The Martian, uh, Damon plays an astronaut who travels with a team to Mars uh, to set up camp and study the planet. And on one particular day, a massive storm heads for the camp. And the team realizes they need to get out of Dodge because the storm is really going to hurt their ship, preventing them from ever getting home. And so they run for the ship to return to Earth. And in the mayhem of running for the ship, Damon's character gets injured and left behind for dead. 
except that Damon doesn't die. Sorry for the spoiler alert, but it came out like five years ago. You should have seen it by now. Uh, he spends the next months fighting to sustain himself as he attempts to find a way to contact the space station on Earth, which amazingly he does. But it's a movie. You write a script, and that's what happens. Um, as a result, uh, Damon's character is swept up into a wind of hope. He is re-energized to press on until help arrives. Uh, until one day, another storm ravages through his makeshift living quarters and the food supply in it. And Damon is devastated. He is despairing. Because his only hope was in his rescue, and the hope of his rescue was just taken away from him. Friends, do you recognize that if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, your hope of rescue can never be taken away from you? We will always have this hope. You can have a sure and certain hope that the Lord Jesus, when he appears, will make you like him because you will see him as he is. You will be transformed by him. Praise God for his marvelous adopting and transforming love. And so since we have this hope and we are his children, how then, therefore, shall we live? Well, John moves on to say this in verse 3 of 1 John chapter Three, he says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Which brings me to my second point. If you're going to abide in Christ this Christmas season, not only must you marvel at the love of the Father, but you also need to strive to live lives that reflect your relationship to the Father. You need to strive to live lives that reflect your relationship to the Father. That is what we see in the, really in the remainder of our passage. I want you to direct your eyes down to verse 10 with me. If you look there, I think you could really capture the theme of the verses from 3 to 9. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And so in these remaining verses, what's happening is John is really depicting two families. One family is marked by sin and lawlessness, and their father is the devil. The other family is marked by an increasing righteousness and devotion to God, and their father is God himself. Notice, by the way, there are only two families. There's no middle road here. There's no timeout place where you can think, consider, and ponder. They are either devoted to God or devoted to Satan. And I think the reason that John gives this description of these two families here uh, is because he is, he is dealing with the false teachers who were affecting uh, his church. He is, in due part, he is, he is speaking this directly to those false teachers uh, who were affecting his local congregation. These false teachers were teaching a philosophy belief called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, and essentially what Gnosticism basically says is that everything material, like your body, is bad. And everything spiritual, like the soul within your body, is good. And so you could sin with your body because your body is inherently evil, but that sin would not affect the state of your soul because your soul is inherently good. This is essentially what the Gnostics were teaching. They were essentially teaching that sin does not have any effect on the state of your soul. And so to counter this, John tells them this very clearly in verse 4. He says, 
whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. Now, when John uses that phrase, commits sin, in the Greek, it has a really stronger meaning than the way we perceive it in the English. When he says commit sin, what he's really talking about is the person who is devoted to sin, the person who is in love with their sin, the person who has no desire to turn from their sin and turn to God. So he's essentially saying that these false teachers who are claiming that their sin does not have any effect on the spiritual state of their souls, he's saying that They are lawless. Their actions in sinning are actually revealing that they are the children of the devil because sinning is lawlessness. Uh, Sin itself is lawlessness, which is why, by the way, he instructs in the way he does in verse 7, where he says, little children, let no one deceive you. As in, hey guys, wake up. Do not fall prey to this false teaching. Do not become lackadaisical. Remember the things that you have been taught. Look at the scriptures. This is not what God has taught his people. Sin is lawlessness. And I think we could take note of this as well and really do need to take note of John's instruction here in our own context. This is really a call to discernment. This is a call to discernment. Do not be deceived. If anyone teaches you, whether it be in a book or a sermon or a movie that you're watching, that you can willfully pursue and enjoy what God calls lawlessness and it not affect your spiritual state before him, they're lying to you. Sin is lawlessness. Sin brings death. Sin is awful. All of us were born into this world by nature, lawless individuals, rebels against God. And we show our opposition to God by sinning against him, willfully breaking his commands. And we stand guilty before a holy God, a holy and just God because of our sins. See, your sins don't just reveal your lawlessness. Your sins reveal something deeper and deeper and darker than that's at work. In fact, look at what John says about all who, committed, uh, who are committed to their practice of sinning against God. Look what he says about them. He says this about all who are committed to their practice of sinning against God and standing in opposition to God in verse 8. It's very clear. It's a very clear and yet profound thing that he says. He who sins is of the devil. So if you're non-Christian, you're listening to this, your opposition to God Uh, It not only seriously endangers your soul, uh, but it actually reveals that you are spiritually aligned with the devil. Uh, Who is the devil? Well, according to the scriptures, he is a very real entity. He was an angel who fell from grace because he sinned against God. And along with him, a very large number of angels fell over whom he now uh, has, he is the head. He hates God. He hates you. In fact, ever since the very beginning, from the very beginning, he's tried to destroy man by turning and causing them to turn against God and join him in his rebellion by sinning against God. To all who join him in his rebellion, he will be called their father because they are his spiritual offspring. They have joined with them in his rebellion. Friend, if you're here listening to this and you're not a Christian, what you need most today is a new spiritual father. Turn to God and ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to adopt you into his family today and know the joy of what it means to come and abide in Christ. 
Because we do see these verses that God's family is very, very different from the first. Look with me at what he says in verse 6. He says, whoever abides in him does not sin. And then again in verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. So if that's what has marked the other family, what marks this family? Well, it's a pursuit of holiness. It's a love of God and a hatred for sin. That's what John's describing here. John's language is sharp in these verses. And, and, and these verses have been misinterpreted for many years, often causing disastrous results. And when John says, by the way, whoever abides in him does not sin. And then in verse 9, again, whoever has been born of God does not sin. He is not saying that Christians never sin. Nor is he saying that they never will sin in the future. See, if John were arguing that here, then he would be directly contradicting what he's previously said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In the context of this passage, John is concerned with the character of your life, the, uh, the bent, the shape, the direction of your life. He's saying that the life of a true Christian will not be characterized by a love and devotion to their sin. A true Christian is at war with their sin. And so let me ask you, are you at war with your sin? That desire to put it to death, does that characterize your life? Friends, these passages teach us that sin is not safe. Sin will hurt and destroy you. To play with it, to dabble in it, is like asking how much poison can I take without actually dying? Sure, you may be able to take some, but why on earth would you want to? Friends, poison is not as dangerous as sin. We don't want to ask how much I can get away with and still call myself a Christian, which unfortunately many of us do. Don't make that mistake. Sin is lawlessness. And I don't bring this up to condemn you, brothers and sisters in Christ. John is writing this letter to bring assurance to his people. And if you've repented of sin, trusted in Christ, and are fighting against your sin, if that's the direction of your life, you can be assured that you are God's child. But just be warned, sin is serious. If you are listening to this and you are wondering whether or not you are actually a Christian, let me encourage you, seriously look at this passage. Read it. Read it again after you leave here today, after you turn this off. John is actually telling you that you today can really know whether or not you are a child of God. Look at many times in this passage he says the word you know, we know, we can know. We can know these things by looking at our lives. Is your life marked by a pursuit of holiness? If you call yourself a Christian, is it marked by a love of God's word, of God's people? Are those things present in your life? Are they growing and moving in that direction? If they are, then you can be confident that you are abiding in Christ. But if you don't see them at all, I would, I would just kindly and lovingly ask you to reconsider whether or not you are a Christian. And I'd love to talk with you anytime about that particular topic. If you're struggling with that, if you do have questions of whether or not you are a Christian, come and see me. We'll talk about it. A true Christian is at war with their sin. 
Now, this conversation about abiding in Christ and the seriousness of sin, it may cause some true children of God to wonder, how on earth am I going to be able to abide for the rest of my life and to continue to fight against sin? I'm already weary fighting against my sin. How am I going to continue in this? Well, John knows that these believers will need to be encouraged and that they can actually continue. And the reason they can actually continue to abide in Christ and have confidence that they will is that they do not pursue God by their own strength. Look at me at what he says, this glorious truth that is found again in verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For or why? Because his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Brothers and sisters, you hear the truth of this? If you are feeling condemned and you need to be encouraged about how you are going to continue to fight against sin in your life, take encouragement in these words. His seed remains in you. God's seed is the supernatural power that dwells within a Christian and gives them a new nature, a new heart, and new desires. So when they stumble and fall, they get up and they say, Lord, I have stumbled, I have fallen, I have confessed my sins to you. And because you are faithful and just, you will forgive me of my sins. I know and I rest in that. And the Lord Jesus will continue to make you more and more like his son throughout this life by his power. Friends, you have a supernatural power dwelling in you to wage war against your sin. This is an encouraging thing. How did God's seed come to dwell within you to give you a new nature? Well, look at verse 5. He says, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Who's the he there? The eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, come from heaven, appeared on earth, living a holy, perfect, sinless life, then going to the cross to be crucified, to bear the punishment of the sins of all who would turn to him and trust in him. So that all who could say, uh, all who do could say with the Apostle Paul, as he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. God's seed now abides in you, Christian. You have a new nature. And to my non-Christian friends, again, this is how you come to abide in God. And God abides in you is that Jesus bears the punishment from God for all your sins. And in your place, condemned he stood. He takes your punishment and he gives you his righteousness, this sweet exchange, so that now before God you are righteous in his sight and he conforms you to the image of his son. Turn from your sin today. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the power of God come to live within you. He will give you a new nature, a new heart, and new desires. Not only did he take away sin when he appeared, but look at verse 8. See, the reason the Son of God uh, was was to destroy the works of the devil. He gives this in verse 8. Not that the devil doesn't continue to wreak havoc in this world. That's not what he's saying. But his wreaking havoc in your life, Christian... His wreaking havoc in your life has been absolutely robbed of its power. Look what he says in verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The devil has no more power to wrestle you out of the Lord's hands. Because the Lord Jesus Christ will lose none who have come to him. 
When Christ conquered the serpent on the cross and rendered his work against the people of God forever powerless, even the greatest of the devil's work was rendered powerless. And that is death. Death holds no power any longer over the Christian. You have no death to fear. Even if you have gone to the grave and are waiting for his return, you can claim the truth of Job 19. Job 19, 25 through 27. Listen to what Job says. These are beautiful words. For I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. Friend, a death cannot harm you because even if you pass from this life into the grave, yet one day you will stand and you will set your eyes on the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he appears, you will be like him because you shall see him as he is. Oh, the marvelous power of God's adopting and transforming love, a power that goes with us even after the grave. A power that is abiding in all who believe even now and is slowly transforming us into his likeness until that day that is vastly approaching finally arrives. When we finally do stand together and see him as he really is. But until then, friends, we must live lives that reflect our relationship to the Father. And so you want to ask, how in the world can I abide in Christ? I mean, Uh, Pastor Cody, have you not seen what's going on this year? Have you not seen what's coming next year? I am in fear at every point in turn. How in the world can I fight against sin in my life and abide in Christ? It's, it's frankly, it, it's not always easy, friends, uh, but the formula is there. You must marvel at the love of the Father. Think about His adopting and transforming love, and then we must strive to live lives that reflect our relationship as His adopted children. And in that, we will be able to have this victory cry during this difficult season that we are abiding, remaining, continuing in Christ. Praise God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we stand before you, Lord, humbled um, as adopted children. We are your children, Father. There was nothing in us that would cause you to love us. And yet, You have loved us so wonderfully. You are transforming us now and will return for us when the Lord appears. Lord, until that day, Father, would you help us to live lives that reflect our love for you and by your power, our God, strengthen us and sanctify us that we may live lives that are pleasing to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. For our time of invitation uh, this morning, um, if you are a Christian The encouragement is to be reminded that we are to strive to live lives that reflect our relationship to the Father. But we don't do this merely by our own strength. We do this by resting in the strength of our Father who has manifested himself in us and recognizing the truths that he's given us, that he has come to destroy the works of the devil, that the devil has no power over you to snatch you out of his hands. Uh, And so if you're a Christian listening to this, the formula is simple. Abide. Hang in there. We always use that term, don't we? Hang in there. But let's change that term. Keep abiding in Christ. Abide in Christ. Remain in Christ. Continue in Christ. Stay the course. And and hopefully this will help us in in this season, the seasons to come, 
uh, to continue resting and trusting uh, in Christ. And for those of us who may not be a Christian hearing this, the invitation is very simple for you. Um, maybe you're here and you thought you've been a Christian your entire life, but your life is certainly not marked by any sort of struggle or wrestle with sin. Uh, you give in to sin very easily and continually and you love it. You are recognizing that you don't actually hate any of your sin, that you actually love your sin and you are committed to that sin. If that's you, could I just ask you to reflect on this passage, to reread 1 John and see whether or not uh, you belong to the family that is marked by increasing righteousness and devotion to God, with God as its Father, or you're marked by a continued committed love to sin and lawlessness. And if that's the case, the Bible is clear that you may not be a Christian. So if that's you, we'd love to talk with you today about how you uh, can turn from your sins, can turn from the rebellion that you have joined in with uh, with Satan, and you can turn to become a child, an adopted child of God through his love and through his, the work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, church family, I love you. I hope you all have just wonderful Christmases, and I hope that that wonderful Christmas is, is not uh, in the midst of the presents you give or the time with family, though I do hope those things. I hope the, the joy of the Christmas season is centered and rested upon who Christ is and what he's done. Friends, when we think about these last three messages that we've had, that not only that Christ came, but that he came to save sinners, and he has now come uh, to destroy the works of the devil, to render him powerless so that we can know we are his adopted children and we can strive to live lives that reflect his glory. Friends, what a tremendous source of joy for us. And so I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm longing to be able to see every one of you soon. Uh, we love you, church family. God bless. Merry Christmas.